0: We are still in our series about questions, answering uh, the Bible questions. Tonight, uh, well, as you notice, Chris is not here. He had to preach in Philadelphia this morning, so him and Eric uh, drove to Philly yesterday, so that's where they're at. So we want to pray for their safe journey home from Philly today. Um, So tonight, we'll be dealing with the question of… There's two questions about emotions, all right? One is, how can you tell when someone is sinning against you versus them hurting your feelings? And the second question is, what do we do with our feelings? Um, How do we, um, what do we do with our feelings? Should we value them? Um, Should they be catered to or should they be ignored? All right, so we're going to answer both of those questions tonight. I'm going to try to answer both of those questions tonight. How can you tell when someone's sinning against you versus hurting your feelings? Okay, first of all, and we want to address these obviously biblically. Um, emotions is something that we can all relate to because we all got them, right? So emotions is a very uh, uh, sensitive to- topic sometimes for people because some people are more emotional than others, myself being one of them, um, and some people are not as emotional as others. but we all have emotions. And the question is, how, what does the Bible say about our emotions? How do we deal with them? When somebody hurts my feelings, my emotions, how do I deal with that? How do I know if they're just um, sinning against me or, or hurting my feelings or both? And I would, I would say, to answer that question, how can you tell when someone is sinning against you or hurting their feelings? It could be both. If they're sinning against you, um, they're, they're they'd probably be hurting your feelings. And if they're hurting your feelings, they're sinning against you. So I would think both is happening. Now, um, usually when someone is hurting, when when somebody is sitting against us, a lot of times it's something physically they've done to us maybe. Um, But when our feelings get hurt, it's usually because of something somebody said a lot of times. And so, um, and the person didn't really uh, clarify whether they were talking about feelings being hurt by something done or something said. Um, So the question is kind of leaves it open. So I just want to deal mainly with how we speak to one another, because um, what we say, the Bible talks a lot about our speech and how we are to speak to each other and address each other. So um, I want to answer the first question, how do I know when someone is sinning against me for, versus someone hurting my feelings? And I, and I will say, like I said, it could be both. Um, uh, I want to talk about what sin is, first of all. The word sin is, is harmatia in the Greek, and it means an offense or to do, a, or to do wrong to violate God's law or standard of holiness. So it's an offense or a wrong that's done to you, whether it's done physically or verbally by some, some, somebody saying something to you to, a lot of times, intentionally hurt your feelings. Because sometimes people will say things because they know it will hurt you, and that's definitely a sin. When they, know, when they say something because they're intentionally trying to hurt you, and a lot of times, people that do that are people that are closest to you. Because they know you, <laughs> and they know what buttons to push and that will, you know, hurt your feelings, um, particularly when you're married to that person. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen, married folk. Amen. <laughs> they know what buttons to push. You know, and sometimes they'll push those buttons on purpose to hurt your feelings, and that is a sin against you. So, I want to talk about those so sins. First of all, if they've done this, if, they, if they've offended you, if, they, if they've done a wrong, if they violated God's standard of holiness in what they've done, they've sinned against you. And if they said something intentionally to hurt you, they've sinned against you. Now, at the same time, we can say things to people unintention- without, and hurt them unintentionally. I say that can happen. And now if that happens, and the person—and well, we'll get into I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. All right. Now, so sin. If they sin against you in either way, and they, they've, if they've done that, if they've offended you and violated God's standard, they've sinned against you. Now, let's look at what the Bible says about our speech and how we are to address one another. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 11, it says this, A word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in a silver setting. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. Now, this is, this is an image of beauty. You know, a word spoken at the right time is like golden apples in a silver setting. It's, a, it's an image of beauty. When somebody says something to you that you needed to hear at that time, that's a good thing. It's pleasant to the ear. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. It says, a wise correction. You can correct somebody, but use wisdom when you do it. A wise correction to a receptive ear, a ear that's ready to hear it, okay? Because sometimes correction and truth is hard to hear. And I say this all the time, but the truth is offensive to people that are not ready to hear it. When you don't want to hear the truth, it can be offensive. It's still the truth. And you still need to hear it so when a person is speaking like this a a pleasant word at the right time receive it have a receptive ear and sometimes we have to admit to ourselves you know that's hard to hear but i needed to hear that thank you because the truth isn't always pleasant to hear and it's not always easy to hear but it's something that needs to be heard a word spoken at the right time. And listen, it says at the right time, because sometimes you can say the truth at the wrong time, and that's important. Timing is very important when you're talking to people, when you're giving correction and speaking truth. Timing is is very important, because you can say the right thing at the wrong time, and it can be taken the wrong way, even though you meant well. So evaluate and say, okay, we're going to get into a little bit of that later, but do I need to say this right now? Is this going to hurt them right now? So sometimes we need to ask that question. So a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in a silver setting. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. Now, if someone does this, they're not sinning against you. They're not sinning against you. If it's done in this setting, in this context, it's not sin against you proverbs 15 a person takes joy in giving an answer and a timely word how good that is a timely word notice the how he puts a person takes joy in giving an answer and a timely word how good that is again timing say the right thing at the right time a timely word now Well-chosen words bring healing to a person. Well-chosen words can bring healing to a person. Words of correction can improve the individual. And that's why you want to say it. You want to to say stuff to them that's going to improve them, help them be a better Christian. And a person didn't say whether the offense was from a a fellow Christian or a non-believer. They didn't specify that either. Now, I will say that, and we're going to get into the Bible talks about how we ought to deal with each other as believers. Now, when it comes to a non-believer, how, is that, how are you going to handle that? And I would say it may not necessarily be different, but you might want to expect a different response from a non-believer. Don't expect them to respond the way the Bible says that we are to respond as believers. They may not. Now, you will still need to address them as a believer, and we'll look at, we'll get into a little bit of that in a minute, but don't expect a godly response or a response that may Make you feel a little bit better (laughs) from a person who is not a Christian okay now Luke chapter 17 oh first of all Colossians chapter 4 speech again let your speech always be gracious did you hear that when we talk to each other we ought to use grace our speech ought to be gracious when we talk to one another doesn't mean that sometimes you don't need to be firm doesn't mean that you don't need to um, tell the truth, but be gracious when you do it. It says, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Wisdom again. It says, let your speech always be gracious. The Bible says in in, in Proverbs 15, uh, uh, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. I love that verse. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, in other words, How you step to somebody is going to determine the response you're going to get. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath. When you're gracious with your words, even if the person is angry, the person you're addressing is very angry, maybe at you or at the situation, let's say. But it says, a soft answer will turn that anger away, turns away wrath. But if you step to them harshly, without any grace, it says, but a harsh word stirs up strife. That's going to make them even more angry, even if you're right. How you speak to somebody, say, listen, you don't want nobody coming to you wrong, stepping to you wrong, even if they're right. We say, don't, don't come at me like that. Don't step to me like that, even if they're right. You know, I'm a grown man. Don't talk to me like that. You know, that's, that's our attitude. You know what I'm saying? You know, so how we address each other matters. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word will stir up that strife that's already there. Gracious. Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt. What does salt do? You know, something, you know, you put salt on food, it, it changes everything. It, it enhances the flavor, right? You try to eat some food without salt is horrible. Try to eat potatoes, to me, without salt is horrible. Try to eat eggs without salt. I don't want that. I want my food seasoned. (laughs) Listen, thank you. All your cooks, y'all know. Season that chicken, right. (laughs) Season with salt and accent and, you know, all that good stuff. (laughs) So that... (laughs) you may know how you should answer a person okay how okay i need to tell her this okay how do i need to address her all right and sometimes you need to know the personality of the person too okay i know i know her personality i need to step to her right you know you know your wife you know your husband you know your kids and your kids and then the kids are different everybody thought you can't dress yeah, all of them the same they're all different you know, this one I need to dress like this, this one I need to dress like that, this one I need to, you know what I'm saying? Even a punishment. This one I need to punish this way, this one I need to punish this way, because they're all different. You know, when I was growing up, you know, I was, my brother, my brother Anthony had a mouth on him. Always had to have the last word. So he would get popped in his mouth all the time because he didn't know how to shut up. So my mother had to, had to address him differently than, he, than, he, than she did with me. You could just say something to me, i start crying. <laughs> But my brother, he had his. Anyway, that's whole another story. But anyway, you get my point. Okay, all right. Luke chapter 17 says this. This is Jesus talking. He said to his disciples, offenses will certainly come. He said, listen, you're going to get offended. He says, but woe to the one through whom they come. It will be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Talking about children. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, so he's talking about fellow believer. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. What does that mean? Warn him, reprimand him, admonish him. And if he sins against you, if he, if he, if he, brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Chris talked about this a couple weeks ago. Forgive him. We're going to talk about forgiveness in a minute. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Wow, that's hard. If he repents, see, see that's the condition. See, repentance is is to restore the relationship. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, correct him. If he repents, forgive him. See, he has to repent. You don't just ignore it. See, uh, the relationship ain't going to be restored if you don't repent and acknowledge your wrong against me, right? Ain't no relationship restored if you don't repent. All right? Okay. Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. All right? Now, Matthew chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, gets more specific, your brother, another believer, go tell his fault between you and him alone. Did you hear that? If somebody sins against you, you go get him and, and tell their fault against you and him alone. All right? If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. Go get two more fellow Christians. Say, listen, brother, I'm trying to get this right. I brought my brother and sister with me. We need to get this straight. You sinned against me. What you going to do about that? Right? Okay. Verse 17, if he doesn't pay attention to them and he still won't repent, tell the church. Bring him right up here in front (laughs) and say, this brother has sinned against and won't repent. He said, take him before the church. I've never seen this done. I've been saved for 30 plus years. I ain't never seen this done. (laughs) Take him before the church and say, listen, the, the point is to get him to repent. To restoration. That's always the goal. Restoration. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Like somebody who ain't even saved. Treat him like that. Treat him like your unsaved friends and family members. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. What does that mean? What's that talking about? ain't talking about the devil, okay? It's talking about the church has the authority to declare the terms under which God forgives or refuses to forgive sins of wayward disciples. God has given the church the authority to do that. And the church is acting in accordance with God's word, which assures heaven's backing. It says, it's already been bound in heaven. It's going to be bound on earth. In other words, it's going to be, it's talking about restriction and, 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 and releasing. Okay, if the brother refuses to repent, he remains guilty. And God says he remains guilty. But if he repents, God releases him from that guilt. And the church has the authority to declare, you've been released from that guilt, brother. You've been released from that guilt, sister. Or you're still guilty, brother. You're still guilty, sister, until you repent. The church has the authority to do that. That's what this is talking about. And heaven agrees, and we'll back it up, God says, I agree with you, church, because God does it first. He says, "I whatever has been, I'm going to do it first, and then the church follows my lead. We do it in accordance with God's Word, not our opinions, right? Okay, whatever uh, you, you bind on earth will be bound, have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loose already in heaven, already done in God's eyes. 19, again, truly I say to you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two are gra- gathered together in my name, I am there among you. God says, if you do this, if it's just two of you, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm, I'm in the midst of you. Even if two of you gather together in my name, under my authority, and do this, you got my backing. So, this, see how serious this is? This is a serious. When we sin against each other, God takes this very seriously. This is not a joke. All right, forgiveness. Let's talk about forgiveness. Now, they sinned against you, and they shouldn't have. How do we, what do I do with that? What do do I do with that? Ephesians 4, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth. No cussing, no four-letter words. But only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear gracious again Remember grace to those who hear and don't grieve. God's Holy Spirit You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness anger and wrath Shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice get rid of all of that and Be kind and compassionate to one another here. It is forgiving one another Just as God also forgave you in Christ. Forgive this brother or this sister. They don't get off the hook. We talked about that. They don't get off the hook, but you release. Forgive means to cancel the debt that's owed to you. Cancel the debt. Forgive them. Let it go. Doesn't mean that you go talk to them until they repent. Ain't no restoration. Doesn't mean you have to talk to them, but you forgive them. Release them. Cancel the debt. All right? All right. That's not—I'm not saying that's going to be easy. You say, okay, God, we're going to get into this in a little bit. God, help me to release this debt. Help me to forgive. Because your emotions are all, are all in this. Your feelings were hurt. They sinned against you. Right? Your emotions are involved. Colossians, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All of this stuff is hard to do. Humility. When somebody sins against me, I still need to be humble? They ain't humble. But we ain't talking about them. We're dumb about you. Gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has also forgiven you." See, he keeps going back to that. Remember that you were forgiven by God from all your stuff. We forget that sometimes. God forgave you of stuff worse than what they've done to you. Like I said, we're not partying them. That's not, we're not partying them. But I got to understand, I was forgiven. My debt was canceled. Jesus canceled my debt. Nailed it to the cross. I need to cancel yours. With tears staring down, rolling down my face. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. God, in the midst of this hurt, I thank you for your forgiveness for me. They've sinned against me, God, but I thank you that you've forgiven me, so therefore I choose to forgive them. And listen, I'm not talking, it can be hard stuff, stuff that they've done, like serious sins against you. Abuse, physically, verbally, or otherwise. But you gotta let it go. Don't forget, didn't say forget, and you know, here in the world, forgive and forget. That ain't not in the Bible. You ain't gonna forget that. How you gonna forget that? But you cancel the debt. And that may take time. Forgiveness doesn't happen overnight either all the time. Now, you shouldn't hold on to it forever, but it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. You know, I usually, you know when we see all these shootings that happen, and in, 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 especially, particularly amongst Christians or in churches, and they always ask the Christian, do you forgive them? I hate when they ask that question like the, the, the day after somebody was killed. I'm like, why are you asking that question? And see, if it was me, I'm like, I ain't even thinking about that right now. They just killed my brother. Don't ask me about forgiveness yet. I'm serious. Now, I know I do, but don't ask me that. That's just, that's just me. I mean, I, pray for me, pray for me. <laughs> pray for me. <laughs> All right. Um, Proverbs 19, verse 11. A person's insight gives him patience, and listen, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. Ooh, amen, Woo! overlook a person's insight gives him patience and his virtue is to overlook an offense god says let it go it's a virtue he said to overlook an offense mm, help me jesus mm. proverbs 79 eloquent words are not appropriate on a fool's lips how much worse are lies for a ruler lies for eloquent words eloquent words are not appropriate for a fool's lips how much worse are lies for a ruler what we say how we speak one one translation says um gossiping about it when when somebody sins against you you don't gossip about it and go and tell the other church member you know what he did to me you know what she said about me mm-mm, mm-mm. no no all right so when somebody sins against you or hurt your feelings, that's how we deal with it. You, you go to them privately first. Don't go spreading it to the church and then try to pull them aside later. No, you go to them first. Say, brother, can I talk to you a minute? And then explain the situation. You really hurt me with what you said or what you did, bubba. You know, if they don't listen, like I said, go get two more people. That's the process. OK, that's the process. And also, forgive, if they, even if they were They they decide to leave the church and don't even, you got to let it go, forgive, cancel the debt. You pray for their return, for their repentance and restoration, we're going to pray that he or she repents and comes back into the fold. So that's how you deal with that. And like I said, um, they could be sinning against you and hurting your feelings at the same time, and they're both sinful, offensive. They violated God's standard of how we are to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? All right, now, how much value should we place in our emotions? Should we cater to them, or should they be ignored? How much value should we place in our emotions? Now, emotions, like I said, are very important. God gave them to us. But how much value should we place on them? Because we all deal with them. Our emotions are all over the place a lot of time. They're, you know, there's so many, so many different emotions, and the Book of Psalms is full of emotions. If you read the book of Psalms, you'll see that David and others who wrote the Psalms are pouring out their their, their feelings, their emotions to God. You know, so they're very important. But how much value should we place on them? Should we cater to them? In other words, um, should I let my emotions lead? Or should I just ignore them and act like I don't have them? First of all, let's talk about what our emotions do. Our our emotions communicate our values and our loves. When you're emotional about something, it's because you value that. And you love that, so they, they, they show what we value and what we love. They also help us to connect and share our experiences with each other. Emotions give us connections to each other, you know, whether it's love or, you know, or respect or whatever it is. Um, we, we, we share our emotions and they cause us to connect with each other. You know, through our emotions. You know, I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my children. I love my fellow believers in Christ. We connect with each other through our emotions, too. So they communicate our values and loves, and they help us to connect with each other and share our experiences. Number three, they motivate us. Our emotions that motivate us, it gives us physical energy. Our emotions are very powerful. They motivate us. That's why a lot of times when people are mad, they punch walls. They motivate us, but they get all this energy that I need to do something with, I need to release this, and they punch walls, and they, and they slam stuff, and they do all this stuff. That's the emotions acting out physically, or they punch you, which is even worse. Seriously, you know, uh, spousal abuse, emotions, anger, physical abuse. That's, that's, that's emotions and physical, so they do motivate us, whether it's um, in a good way or in a bad way. You know, whether it's positive or negative, our emotions motivate us. And then lastly, they turn us toward God, or at least they should. Our emotions ought to turn us towards God. All right? Uh, Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. He's been crying all night. My tears have been my food. He's very emotional. He's crying. My tears have been my food day and night. While all day long people say to me, where is your God? You're going through all of this stuff, emotional, people are saying, where's God at? I thought you would say, where's, where's your God at in all of this? Why are you crying? I thought Jesus was People say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart. Listen to that. He says, I pour out my heart. And that's what we need to do with our emotions. We don't cater to them, but we pour them out to God. He says, I pour out my heart. How I walk with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. David said, listen, I used to go to church worshiping God. He said, I remember how I walk with many, leading the festival procession. I was in the front worshiping God. To the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected or depressed? Why are you so depressed, Christian? Why are you in such turmoil? The emotions, my emotions, I'm just in turmoil. Why are you in turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him my Savior and my God. In the midst of this turmoil, I'm still going to praise God. I'm taking my, all my emotions and everything and, and worship in the midst of it all. Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed, like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mount Zir. He said I am deeply depressed. He said depressed Deep calls the deep in the roar of your waterfalls all your breakers and your billows have swept over me He's using symbolism to, to to describe what he's feeling what he's going through the Lord will send his faithful love by day His song will be with me in the night See a lot of times we go through this stuff at nighttime our emotions, you know, seem to perk up at night. In the, you know, he said, but in the in the nighttime, his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I'm praying in the middle of the night with all these emotions. I'm praying. That's what I'm doing with this emotional turmoil. I'm taking it to God. My emotions are turning me to God. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? You ever ask that question? God, what's going on? Where are you at? I've been praying about this for a year and a half, God. Come on. That's real. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Why do I got to be so sad? Lord, these folks, my coworkers are driving me. Lord, you know what they're doing to me. They're oppressing me." He's praying, taking his emotional state to God. Why have you forgotten me? Sometimes you feel like God has forgotten you. Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's depression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones while all day long, they say to me, where's your God, dude? And you asking the same question, you just don't tell them that. <laughs> God, that's a good question. God, where are you at? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Then he says, put your hope in God. He's talking to himself. Sometimes you got to talk to yourself. You gotta talk to yourself. Listen, listen, what was wrong with Eddie? Listen. Your God is the God of the universe. Believe that trust that Put your hope in God Eddie Stop silence the voices from outside wherever they're coming from and Open up the scriptures to get into the Word of God That's the voice you want to hear in my emotional downcast state Psalm 42, put your hope in God. Tears dripping on the page. I'm not denying what I'm feeling, but I'm taking this before you, Lord. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God. For I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I don't care what's going on, God. Sunday, I'll worship your Jesus. I've been depressed all week, but I've worshipped you, Lord. I'm not catering to my emotions, but I'm giving them to you. I'm not ignoring my emotions, but I'm giving them to you. Because I can't do nothing, widow. Okay, uh, Matthew, we take our emotions to God. Matthew chapter 26. This is Jesus right before his crucifixion. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be in sorrowful, began to be sorrowful and troubled. This is Jesus, the Son of God, sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Wow. Wow. Deeply, another translation says, distressed to the point of death. The Son of God, Jesus the Messiah, is here deeply sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, was sorrowful, troubled, and deeply grieved to the point of death. And what did he do with that? The Bible says, he face fell down and prayed to his father. Jesus is our example in word and deed. If Jesus who was deeply troubled and, and grieved to the point of death. And what he did with that was he got down on his face before his father. If he had to do that, what about you? He's our example. He showed us what to do when our emotions begin to take over. The Son of God, his emotions, the human side of him began to take over, and he got on his face before his father just like you need to get on your face before your father when you experience these emotions. He said, if it's possible, let this cut the path for me, but yet, not as I will, but as you will. God, I want this depression to stop, but even if it doesn't, you have a purpose for this, whatever it is, this pain, this turmoil. I pray that you remove it nevertheless. Not my will, but your will be done. Whatever purpose you got for this, I don't know what that is. makes no sense to me, but I'm going to put my hope in you. That's what we do with our emotions. We don't cater to them. We don't ignore them. We take them to the throne of God, just like Jesus did, the Son of God. He could have, now this is Jesus, he could have, Handle this, but he, as an example to us, this is what you do, Diane, with your emotions. When you are deeply troubled and distressed, this is what you do, Adam. You get on your face before your heavenly father, just like I did. If Jesus had to do that, what about me? Um, This book. Some of the stuff I got from this book here called Untangling Emotions Emotions by J. Alistair Groves and Winston T. Smith. Very good. If you wanted some more information on how to deal with emotions, this book is very good. I would highly recommend it. It's called Untangling Emotions. I'm not sure if it's in our bookstore or not, but um, I want to read something he says in here. Um, Our worship or love of God must be reflected in the way we treat others. We can't segment our lives into pieces and call one of those pieces worship. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't love people or things other than God. But our love for God should shape all our loves or commitments. Whether our greatest love is God or something else, it is essentially what is driving us and so the true object of our worship. Every emotion you feel, every emotion you ever feel reflects your loves or what you worship. Ultimately, every emotion reflects our worship. That is, the loves or commitments of our hearts. But sometimes our worship is off. We love the wrong thing, or maybe we love the right things in the wrong way or too much. See, sometimes you can love the right thing, but too much. You can love something good too much and becomes worship. Whatever that is, your job, you know, your spouse, your children, anything can become, become an idol. You can worship. Um, not everything we feel flows from value for what God loves. But every point on our whole spectrum of emotions was designed to send us sprinting to our Father with words like, thank you, help me, you're amazing, or oh, no. He said every—I'm going to read that again— uh, Every point on our whole spectrum of emotions were designed to send us sprinting to our Father, like we just talked about, with words like, thank you, help me, you're amazing, or oh, no. No feeling is beyond redemption. Every feeling that turns toward God actually becomes part of our worship. Every feeling that turns towards God actually becomes part of our worship. You take that feeling and turn it towards God and and make it into worship. That's what you do with that. That's what you do with that. Now, I want to talk about two pitfalls with our emotions. Number one, and these are two extremes, (laughs) number one, emotions are everything. We hear that out there in the world. Emotions are everything, like hyper-emotionalism. Our feelings are the most important thing about you, is what society would tell you. Your feelings, how you feel, is what's most important. Now, another section in his book. The loudest voice in the room, at least in the Western world, tells us that our emotions are everything, the most important thing that most defines. This doesn't mean that our culture assumes that you understand your feelings or where they come from or that you even like your emotions. But fundamentally, you live among a people whose actions and culture Cultural practice proclaim over and over again that what you feel is the most important thing about you We hear that all over the media Feelings are the most important thing. This is how I feel um, The highest they say the highest good our culture seeks for living breathing individuals is having good feelings it means that in our culture a problem with one's feelings is one's biggest problem It means the greatest harm you can do to someone is to not listen to, give space for, and affirm what that individual feels, is needed to feel, the way he or she feels and wants to feel. And that's why the extreme value is placed on authenticity. You hear that word about being authentic, your authentic self. Authenticity. Hence, the embrace of sexuality as the core of human identity. That's why they say that. Sexuality embrace, hence um, the embrace of sexuality as the core of your identity. What you feel sexually is who you really are. That's what they tell you. That is not biblical or true, all right, but that's the culture. That's why it is. You got to be your authentic self. Be true to yourself. It sounds good, but it's a lie. Your, how you feel doesn't determine who you are. That's just how you feel. Your identity is not in your feelings. Feelings are important. They're, listen, feelings are important. God gave them to us, but they are to be the caboose, not the engine. They are not to drive. The caboose is the, at the end of the train. You consider your feelings, but they are not the final arbitrator of truth, is what I'm telling you. They are to be considered, but they don't determine what's true. But our culture says your feelings determine what's true. Whether it's emotional, sexual, or any other way, that's what's real. No. That's not an identity. That's a feeling. Um, If the most important thing about you is your feelings, then you need to be and express yourself as pretty much at all costs, they tell you. But to place your feelings ahead of the quality of your character, ahead of the faithfulness of your obedience to God, and ahead of the depth of your relationship with God and others, even to place your feelings ahead of the feelings of others is the opposite of what Scripture calls us to do. The Scripture never tells you to do that. The Bible, you know, people say, you know, just follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. The Bible never tells you to do that, by the way. The Bible never tells you to follow your heart. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. You take your heart, you give it to God, and say, okay, God, here's my heart. I'm trusting you with it because I can't. The Bible says, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Wow. He that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Wow. Why? Because your heart is sinfully wicked, the Bible says, Jeremiah 17, 9. It can't be trusted. Your heart is full of sin. You can't trust it. You only trust your heart as if your heart is being led by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, then you can trust it. If not, don't trust it. It will lead you astray every time. The culture trains us to be ruled by our emotions. But emotions make a terrible priority for your life. If you make emotions priority that's a terrible guide and lead but the culture tells you to be ruled by your emotions how you feel again don't disregard them i'm not saying ignore them but don't allow them to be the final arbitrator of truth all right and and listen the church has an unhealthy unhealthy emotionalism too this ain't just in the world the church has one too particularly you know, you say things like, you know, when, when you, even with small groups, you want to connect with your small group members, and you want to feel, even on Sunday morning, how do you feel during worship? You know, it's all about, well, the church can make the feelings the final, like, like, like that's the ultimate goal is to, to feel a certain way. That is not what worship is about. How did you feel during worship today? Did you like worship? How was I wasn't worshiping you. I don't care how you felt. The question is, did you get anything out of worship today? I don't care if you got anything or not. The question is, did God get anything out of worship today? (laughs) Now, if God said, I ain't getting out of worship today, okay, that's a problem. But if you are getting out of it, that ain't the worship team's fault. (laughs) Worship ain't about you or me. It's not about how you feel i'm not saying that you shouldn't feel something during worship but that's not what it's about and the church can be just like the world and say just about feelings did you connect with somebody how did you feel during that's an unhealthy there's a difference between expressing emotion which is fine and emotionalism which is not fine emotionalism makes emotions the final goal how you feel. And I've been in church, I think we've all been in churches, and I'll say this, <laughs> usually Pentecostal churches put a lot of emphasis on emotion. And I've been in services where it's been both. I've seen where we've expressed emotion and it's been God. It's been the Holy Spirit moving, and I've been in churches where it was all emotionalism and it had, had nothing to do with the Spirit of God. It was just people trying to conjure up the Spirit of God again. You know what I'm saying? their emotions I've been in both <laughs> I come from a Pentecostal background so I know what I'm talking about <laughs> it's no, nothing wrong with having emotion listen Jesus died for your sins how dare you not get emotional about that but there's a difference between that and everything is about emotion and how I feel and no no all right okay um, now, the second extreme is emotions are nothing. The stoicism where you just grin and bear it, you know, you, <laughs> you know. And usually, <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble again. <laughs> it's usually the um, the more uh, maybe a reformed Calvinistic type that you know you kind of ignore your emotions, you know, you know you can't you can't be emotional. That's you know feelings are not to be trusted. You can't trust your feelings. You know, you know, you gotta trust God's sovereignty and allowing this time. You can't get emotional about this. This is God's sovereignty at work. (laughs) You don't have enough faith, that's your problem. That's all emotion. That ain't faith, that's just emotion. See, that's the other extreme. Emotions don't mean nothing, ain't nothing. That's a lie too. That ain't biblical either. You got extremes on both sides. You know, emotions are not from God, they say. But emotions aid us in our obedience and reveals deeper problems in our hearts. God can use emotions to deal with something, to show us there's something going on in my heart. That's why I got this emotion. God God says, I want to show you why you feel like that. (laughs) I know he did that with me. (laughs) I want to show you why you feel the way you do. And I'm not saying God's mad at you for feeling that way, but let me show you why you feel that way. Sometimes you say, God, why do I feel this way? All right, now, engaging our emotions. Our emotions are designed to force us to engage God. First of all, we want to identify our emotions. Describe what you feel. When you feel feeling in a certain way, describe what you feel. And listen, and it's, it's okay if it's not identifiable. You might say, you know, I really don't know how I feel right now, how I feel about this. And that's okay. But you want to identify your emotions. Next, you want to examine your emotions. Your emotions are always telling you something about what you value and what you care about and what you love. Your emotions are always telling you something about what you value, what you care about, and what you love. They're always telling you something about your relationships. Always. So identify them, examine them. Let me see what's going on with me. Evaluate them, the good and the bad. And you're going to always have good and bad emotions. You can always have both. And it could be that there's something wrong in your heart. And that's why you feel that way, and God wants to show you that. God wants to, show, I want to, God wants to say, I want to show you what's going on in your heart. That's why I allow this emotion, because I'm going to show you there's something wrong in your heart in this, and you need to repent, you need to change. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And then lastly, we want to Act. We want to embrace the good and resist the bad okay some of the feelings may be good okay it's good that i feel like this that's a good feeling and then resist the bad okay this part ain't so good though i really need to reject that part you know and you're going always you're going to feel both sometimes good and bad embrace the good reject the bad repent of it if you need to god i'm I'm sorry i feel like this i really don't want to feel this way about that you know help me to to forgive help me to release that to let that go all right a few more scriptures and i'm done all right psalm 68 trust in him at all times you people pour out your hearts before him god is our refuge he says trust him at all times pour out your heart again listen, listen I, I i've been in situations where i've cried i poured out my heart before god on the living room floor in my bedroom in the middle of the night i've listened i've been on the floor with a box of kleenex over here and when i got done the whole box was gone I used every Kleenex in the box <laughs> because I was pouring out my heart before God. Now, when I got done, I felt so much better. The problem was still there, <laughs> but I felt so much better because I poured out my heart. my most I gave it to God. He says, pour out your heart before God. Doesn't mean that you can't talk to other people about it. Counseling is good. Talking to other Christians, that's good. But sometimes, listen, sometimes it's just you and Jesus in your living room. Amen? It's just you and God, and you pouring out your heart before him. Not catering to your emotions, not ignoring them, but pouring your heart out before God. Psalm 71, be a rock of refuge for me, where I can always go. He said, God, be a rock of refuge. I, can, I want to always be able to come to you, God. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. He keeps saying who God is. God, you are my rock and my fortress. It's all about you, Jesus. Even with my emotions you are my rock and my fortress you are stable i'm not but you are i'm so unstable especially when my emotions are all over the place i'm so unstable but god i need you to be my rock right now lead me to the rock that is higher than i in psalm 61 that we read earlier he's my rock he's my fortress Hebrews 4, very familiar scripture. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Jesus understands our emotions. He said he can't, he's he's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. When I get emotional and anxious and all that kind of stuff, he says, but he was tempted in every way like we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Because of that, I can go to God, to the throne of God with all my emotions and say, here I am, God, and pour my heart out. You understand, Jesus. You are human like me. You understand my humanness, my emotional state. You understand. You were human at one time, Jesus. And last verse. 1 Peter 5, 7, very familiar scripture. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, verse 7, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. He says, first of all, humble yourselves, therefore, humble yourselves again under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, all your anxieties, all your emotions. Why? Because he cares about you. And because he cares, I'm going to pour my heart out before him. I give him my emotions. I don't cater to him. I don't ignore them. But I give them to him because he cares about it. And I know, Lord, I know you're going to do with them what needs to be done. We got to trust God with all of us. Trust him with my emotions. When people hurt my feelings, God, I'm going to trust you with this. I want to do something about it, but I'm going to trust you with it. I don't want to cater to these feelings, God. I don't want to ignore them. I want to give them to you. I want to pour my heart out before you, before God. God is the God of our emotions too. He's the God of our emotions too. And I'm so glad that the book of Psalms is in the Bible. Get into Psalms. Emotions are all over the book of Psalms. David always poured his, and those who wrote the Psalms poured their hearts out before God. And they were very real david got very real with god sometimes like kill all the bad people lord (laughs) he would say stuff like that (laughs) you know but he always came back to god always came back and that's what we got to do all right so now we're going to celebrate communion we're going to celebrate the god of our emotions we're going to sing a song celebrate the god of our emotions and now we're going to come back and take communion together all right